If you haven't signed up for our Discord channel, please do so at majordemomedia.com. You can get a link and it'll take you to our wonderful community growing 14,000 strong. Plus, we only talk about it here. Great discount codes for athletic brewing. I think it's like 40 bucks off your first order. What? 35? That's great. You, what is it? Can you check? Yeah. check? I don't um, think Cometeer Coffee, Any Day Cookware, Athletic Brewing, and of course, all things Momofuku. I just said Athletic Brewing two times. Is it is it 40 bucks? It's 40 bucks for the Cometeer across your first two orders and then 20% off your purchase at Athletic Brewing. It's amazing. And of course, all things Momofuku. You can visit us at shop.momofuku.com. Our salt spices, chili crunch, and our noodles. We have some new flavors that I can't talk about soon, but maybe by the time this airs, it is public. And of course, please continue to send in your questions at askdave at majordomomedia.com. Askdave at majordomomedia.com. And uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's hear all of your concerns, thoughts, how to do X better stuff. Let's get on to the show. Welcome to the Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Dome Media. Thank you, Alatango, as always. Join with, you know, hello, hello. And Chris will be back on the next podcast. We have a three things. I think about a slice of life, an ass Dave, a mini ass Dave, and then we're going to get into a moif for today's podcast we are um talking the day two days after my birthday feeling very old i don't like to celebrate my birthday and and um i I just after after 35 it's not fun anymore especially after 40 it's not fun anymore and uh, i had a friend that got quite mad at me because they were like why don't you want to celebrate your birthday and they know me and they're like, every year you're alive, you should be ecstatic. And on paper, I don't disagree with anything they're saying. But I, uh, my birthday wish was not to do anything, was to spend the entire day doing nothing. And I couldn't do anything anyway because one of my sons was quite sick. So, yeah, that's, that's what happened. But again, I, I did have the chocolate passion fruit milk bar cake that Tosi sent. And I had... Usually what is now happening on a regular occasion, Marguerite Mariscal, CEO of Momofuku, sends me a care package of locks and bagels. And that's one of the things I miss most about living in New York are bagels. But Zabar's salted baked salmon, if you haven't had that, I don't know what they do, but it's so good. It really is delicious. And, and their smoked salmon and, and the locks. When you make one, it just is fantastic. So on my birthdays and any kind of special thing, Marguerite tends to surprise me with a wonderful package. And if you haven't tried it, you should visit the Zabar's website. There is something that could be mail-ordered, and I can give that my highest endorsement because it makes me so goddamn happy to eat that stuff. And um, yeah, what a surprise. But yeah, another year. And next year, I probably won't be celebrating my 47th birthday. And the crazy thing is in Korea, I'm now 47. Yeah, they turned it back. They so, turned it back. Yeah, you're not gaining a year. I think most of Asia, your birthday starts at one when you come out of the womb. 
Yes. I know in Korea, it was actually like a matter of law. So like, that's how they counted it. So on that regard, I'm glad that I'm not 47 <laughs> today. Anyway, three things I think about. I made a sauce. I made two sauces the past week. And, and I got thinking that I made more than two sauces. It was three sauces that I was thinking, I, I make this probably the most at home when I'm cooking. And there are the three sauces that I think everybody should make at home. Are they the best sauces? I don't know, but they're the three sauces that I make the most. Number one is ginger scallion. Um, I love it. It's in our cookbook, Momofuku. Our version at home, I mean, our version at the restaurants, we do not heat up the oil. You want to use a neutral seed oil that that has a high smoke point. Peanut would be the best, but clearly you can't do peanut oil anymore. That's a sad thing because it's so delicious. You heat it up and then you would pour it over the scallions or the aromatics and, and then sort of finish the sauce that way, the heat releasing all the aromatics. I didn't want to do that with our ginger scallion sauce at Momofuku because we would pour that over hot noodles. And I wanted that, that again, that ginger scallion aroma to hit when you are, you know, bringing the food to your mouth. But ginger scallion sauce Cantonese in origin, I believe, and it really is exactly that. It's minced ginger, scallion, and ginger on its own, very flavorful. Scallion on its own, mildly flavorful. But when you put the two together, it's it's like magic. It really is magic. A little salt, sometimes a little vinegar. But when you put that over rice, it's the one sauce that my kids will always eat that happens to be green. They don't eat anything green. And when you put that on rice, noodles, fish, meat, and that was my first introduction. Ginger Scallion was eating at New York Noodle Town in New York City. They have a great Ginger Scallion that you put on a lot of the barbecue. And the Ginger Scallion Lo Mein, when I was an extremely young, poor cook, that was $2.95. I believe it's like $5.95 now. I had to double check that. But I always said that was the best of value in all of New York City. Better than the $1 dumpling because you'd have to cook that. Or I just, I never felt right eating $1 worth of dumplings. But if you haven't made ginger scallion, you should. It will change your entire culinary repertoire. Two is a surprise that I make a lot. And I do this because it's a lot easier than making other butter emulsion sauces. The hollandaise being the mother of them all. It's a beurre blanc. Beurre blanc was all the rage in the mid-80s, early 90s. But when I make a piece of fish, or sometimes I'll put it on meat too, it's awesome. And it's easier because I don't have to whisk in any egg yolks. And a burr block, you just need to take, I mean, there's specific kinds of wines, but it's any crappy bottle of white that I have. And usually I'll make burr block if we have some white wine that I have not used in, in some time. And it's, it's the kind of white wine that has a, a cap, no, a corkscrew, not a corkscrew, <laughs> a, a twist, <laughs> twisting, twist cap. my favorite kind of white wine, anything that's shitty on ice, man, so good. <laughs> But really, you take some aliums, shallots, onions, maybe sometimes garlic, whatever, and you reduce that down with vinegar to a syrup, and then you whisk in your whole butter. Uh, when I make sauces, butter sauces, I do not use clarified butter. I do not like clarified butter, even though Burr Blanc is whole milk butter anyway with the milk solids. Even when I make it a hollandaise, I like to do it with whole milk. I learned that from Jean-Georges because that's where all the flavor is. I, I, I don't necessarily not that i dislike clarified butter in sauces i just would rather have the milk solids and 
Then you can finish up with some heavy cream. And if you want to make it a little bit lighter, you can whip the heavy cream and fold it into the Bourbon sauce. But it is, it's a magic sauce and it's not used enough, mainly because I think people think it's too easy. But it doesn't take a lot of ingredients to make something super flavorful, great on vegetables. And that's a sauce I make instead of a hollandaise, usually because I don't want to bain marie and I don't want to use egg whites because I'm that lazy. And the last one I make all the time, and it's the yang yong jang. And sometimes that can be, would you say, you know, the, the kangjang, which is the Korean fermented soy sauce, the kangjang jang is its own thing, right? With just maybe sherry vinegar, not sherry vinegar, I use sherry vinegar, rice wine vinegar, garlic, sesame seeds, sesame oil, scallions, sugar, kochukaru. You, that's a sauce people put on pindetok and sometimes mandu. Um, yeah. It's also good on noodles. That would probably be like a top five sauce for me at home too. But the sauce that I probably make the most is yang yong jang, which is probably most familiar flavor-wise when you eat bibing nengmyeon or bibimbap. Okay, so it's more like pepper heavy, right? Like it's got more like that. It's gochujang. 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 Okay. Then that with some sugar, vinegar, sesame. It's the same, yeah, same thing. Same you just, you know, and sometimes kangjang too. So. Yeah. It's got the sweet. It's got the spicy. It is a workhorse for me. It's been the workhorse in a lot of our recipes at the restaurant. It's something that we are working on to sort of help you maybe cook with that at home, trying to avoid getting in trouble by talking about it too much. But that is a super, super simple sauce that you should make. Clearly, there's more sauces, but those are the three sauces when I think about when I make the most at home, those are the three because they're extremely versatile. The only thing I don't eat on rice is with the beurre blanc, but um, that's when I want to make something that's not necessarily Asian or Korean-oriented. And if you haven't made those, you should. And there's a ton of literature online if you want to learn more, that's for sure. Anyway, let's take a break. Let's get into a uh, slice of life when we return. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. We're back. I got a question for Slice. At what point is having an excuse that you are late or going to be late legitimate? And even if you have a legitimate excuse, when is it, when you explain it to the other person, when does the other person or group of people believe it to be true? Right? It's a difficult thing to suss out because Almost everything that you say these days is, sounds like your dog ate your homework. And I've been on the receiving end of, oh, I'm late. Whether that's a Zoom call or in a meeting, I I try to be early all the time. That's something that 
I, I think is the only, one of the very few things in your life that you have control over is showing up on time, right? Bourdain was infamous for always being like 30 minutes to an hour early. And anytime I would meet him, he would always beat me to a location. So I was like, damn. And he said the same thing, ironically enough. It's one of the few things you have control over and it's a sign of respect, et cetera, et cetera. But when I am late, I fucking hate it. And now that I'm in Los Angeles, I find that I'm late all the time. Traffic is a real thing. Very real. Showing up 10 minutes late, 15 minutes late, sometimes 30 minutes late. It's, it's actually sort of normal. In New York, everyone knows when a subway line is out if you're showing up to work. So not everybody, it's, people understand that. That's why I'm late to a meeting where traffic across town was massive. But I find that now if you're late for a Zoom call, that's, that's like the most common thing. And I don't, I don't love it as much. I don't love being late for Zoom calls, but I'm late all the time for Zoom calls. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I'm just wondering, like, how are you, like, what, it's usually like another call that went long or something like that, right? And every, the reason you're late on another Zoom call, if you're going back-to-back Zoom calls, it's always because somebody else is going long. And how are you supposed to say that to the next meeting? <laughs> and sometimes I... I miss Zoom columns all, all together. I just totally forget. So it's been a bad look for me. For someone that tries to pride themselves on being prompt on meetings, there have been a handful of meetings the past few months where I've missed completely. And I have nothing to say. The worst thing you can tell somebody is, I forgot or I didn't realize. And I, I have to think being late for a Zoom call or being late for a meeting in general, regardless of the excuse, I have to distill it to this because I have to hold myself accountable. It's a sign of, ultimately, it's a sign of disrespect. <laughs> right? Again, don't get mad. Like, I, I am just as guilty as anyone else. Because if you think about it, there have been times I've been late to this podcast. Sometimes I've been late because I've been eating at like a food truck across the street. <laughs> Oh, it's okay if we're like maybe two minutes late, three minutes late, but it sucks, right? Everyone's on schedule. But if you think about it, if, if President Obama, you had a meeting with Biden or Obama, if it was Trump, you'd probably not even attend the meeting. <laughs> but if it was at like 10 a.m. a week from today, you're going to move heaven and earth to make sure that you're there. And I'm not saying it's disrespectful, but at some point, you calculate the importance of when and how you're going to get, you calculate travel, you calculate potential delays, and you, you are there. So what does it say to somebody when you're late? <laughs> it's either you love them, you are so familiar with them, that it's like, it's how you, uh, siblings can be so mean to each other. It's ultimate sign of disrespect in terms of love. But everyone else, I think it's like, you're not that important to me. And I have, here's the problem. I've missed some meetings that are very fucking important to me because they're on Zoom for whatever reason. And I can tell you the reason why is I am uh, really bad at double booking. I have no idea how to <laughs> sync my Apple calendar to my Google calendar to the Microsoft <laughs> Outlook calendar. And I don't know how to do it. 
and it's it's just not possible to connect the three. And I still like using my Apple Outlook calendar, my Apple calendar, because it's the most easy for me to use. But everyone in my life uses the Google calendar. So that's a legitimate reason how I, how I miss meetings. But I think it's the ultimate flex to actually be late, too. <laughs> to show up late, it means that you are the more important person, potentially. Definitely. I actually had a quick story about my nanny. Uh, I, I don't like calling her my nanny, but Carol, um, <laughs> she shows up late uh, a couple times. And I'm just like, well, you are the most important person in our house. So you can be like, you can disrespect right. me all you want. Like, I don't mind it at all. Like, it's sort of a flex move to be the latest person. To <laughs> yeah. And I just keep on thinking that in, for whatever reason, when I was in Japan, you could never be late. At least for one of the excuses that was always removed was the subway was late. Because if you are late, I can't remember the mechanics, but somehow whoever's at the office can check if you're late. Because you yeah. have to show your like subway ticket. Yeah. So that doesn't work. And usually subways are on time always, unless somebody kills themselves <laughs> in Japan, which is a wholly dark fucking subject altogether. But I, I'm having an issue with these, these Zoom calls and being late. And I'm wondering to myself, the people that show up late, are they because they're on another call? And then the person that is running long on the other call, right? Because they're talking. That's the flex too for them because everyone has to stay on the Zoom call until they finish speaking. Yes. Well, yes and no. There's that one guy or usually a guy who's like kind of sensitive and needs to talk. And if you like stop him, he'll get kind of bent out of shape about it. So everybody's just kind of silent during the call. And they're just like, oh, yeah, no, you can go. Like, go for it. You know, it's it's um, I'm, I'm trying to get to the place where you tell somebody ahead of time on a call. I have a heart out. That's also a super flex move. That's that's a huge flex. It's a huge You're hard flex. out at uh, eleven o'clock. Yeah, and then you just drop. <laughs> <laughs> that's the fucking Dave Chang has left the chat. Like it's 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 a it's a really super baller. Let's go, kind of move. It's like all of a sudden, hard out. I got to move. But if you have like nice people on the call with you, and they're like, "Oh yeah, totally." He you said know? that, or she said yeah, that. I have a hard out. Yeah, they said I have a hard out. So. So I, I tend not to be late physically to meetings, but I'm tending to be more and more late to Zoom calls. And there's something about being late five minutes. That five minutes when you're looking at a computer screen, that is like excruciatingly long. <laughs> and, then, and then you are looking at your computer screen and then you're like, okay, there's three other people waiting for two other people. I see you on the computer screen. I'm going to turn off my camera because I don't want to look at you. Then that's weird. That's And then you press mute and they're like, right? And then you sh- then does everyone turn off their screen? It's an awkward moment that no one really has talked about. Oh, you know what I'm dreading is like, so, you know, how you been? And I'm just, I'd just be like, uh, I'm good. I just, Which is why I turn off my vi- video and audio because yeah. I do not want to chit chat with you. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, no, it's definitely like a very awkward like. Uh, and the other thing that's good. weird is if it's a one-on-one Zoom. Like if I was talking to Corey or Victoria on Zoom and they're not there and I'm just looking at the computer screen, I'm getting impatient. So if you're five minutes late is honestly, five minutes late on Zoom is really 30 minutes late in real life. (laughs) 10 minutes late on Zoom is an hour late. It is. Einstein talked about time being disproportionate 
with mass. I think there's a certain kind of mass density when you're looking at your computer screen that alters the time-space continuum. Because if you're late looking at the fucking screen for 10 minutes, you're like, this person clearly doesn't think I'm important. (laughs) I hate this person. And I definitely don't want to do any business with this person or I hate this person in general. Tell me I'm wrong. And if you, it's better, I think if you are more than 10 minutes late, it's better not to even get on the call altogether and just say, I'm so sorry, it's time to reschedule. We got to reschedule. Something happened. And that's when their excuse happens. What are you supposed to say? Which is why having kids, having kids is the best reason. The only reason to have kids right now (laughs) is not to ensure that your DNA will continue in this (laughs) universe. The only reason to have kids is to have an excuse. Post the 10 minute mark. You're like, shit, fuck. <laughs> oh, my, my kid's vomiting on the floor. <laughs> oh, my kid just broke his head on the, on the ground or something. I can't. It's the only excuse that the other person's like, ah. You got to let him slide. It's the only one. You got to let I, him of slide. Of all the excuses, it's the only one where People that hear it are like, ah, the dog ate my homework. It's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. That's the first thing, right? (laughs) But I I think the new rule is after 10 minutes, you can't join a call online. I think that's a fair rule. Or or just text them to reschedule or something. It's like, hey, can we punt this down? But you have to still give an excuse after 10 minutes. And that excuse, if you are sans children, like, I don't know what you do. You're shit out of luck. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many excuses for your kids. And this is what's dawned on me that kids, not just for Zoom calls, are used for excuses altogether. Oh, you know, I don't want to go to dinner. Um, (laughs) I really don't want to do this. No, my, you know, Johnny's throwing up. I can't. can't, (laughs) But you know what's going to happen now is that anytime you use your kids as an excuse, anyone who listens to this podcast is going to. Every time I've ever used an excuse about my kids has been legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But it's dawned on me, parents have had this secret power for so long. <laughs> it is the greatest get-out-of-jail-free card. Whether it's true or not, you can't just say, oh, I'm not feeling good, I'm lazy, I'm unmotivated. You just blame your kids. They're just, yeah, just meeting saboteurs, these little guys. What, what, Victoria, what do you use in a, as an excuse I never really have one. So this is, I'm like, dang, I need to have some kids. Right? <laughs> right? It's, she's never late. But I'm sure there are times when you are late. What do you say? Do you just say, I'm sorry, I'm late? I honestly, I don't really have the experience of being late that much to say, but I would probably most likely just tell the truth to like traffic or sl- overslept or. I, I think by using those excuses, it's, it, it, it weakens your position of power to the other person. <laughs> you are not the master of your time domain. Hey, the strongest position is to be on time, which Victoria is always on time. So, cool. like, Corey, she, what, do you, what, what do you use as an excuse when you're late, whether it's real life or on a Zoom call? Yeah, work is easier because I can just say, like, oh, I was in a shoot. And, yeah. like, 99% of the time, that's true. <laughs> but yeah. sometimes you're just like, uh, Right. Do you ever lie and say, oh, it's because Dave was just blabbering on forever and this podcast wouldn't end. That's why I'm late. I'm sure you said that. But when it's not work related and you're just going to some kind of meeting and you're late, what do you say? 
That's tougher. I mean, I think like being married is uh, a built-in excuse. Married? Because, yeah, my wife's late to stuff. And that's like, a, like if we're going to a party or an event or something, we're running late. You can kind of just do the like, oh, well, you know. Do you blame your wife? <laughs> and does the wife know that you're blaming her? Yes. And she, I think, hey. takes accountability for that. Wow. <laughs> she, she's wow. like, she wow. knows. Damn. I'm more impressed that Victoria is never late. Oh, I'm no, yeah. Anytime I had a call with her, never late. That's why I think she's a narc. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's an impossibility. <laughs> she's FBI. <laughs> One more thing about Zoom calls. I think that the ultimate, ultimate flex actually is when you blur out your background uh, behind you. Okay. Uh, I need some. So so why is that a flex? Well, not any just flex. I don't know if I can trust you either. It's either <laughs> or. It's either you're so fucking fabulous. Right. Right? And the blurring really doesn't do anything. It actually makes it more frustrating. You're like, okay. Whatever's behind you, I can tell. It's like looking through scrambled porn or something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> you know that something good is behind you and you're hiding it. So number one. Number two is, I don't know. If you're not somebody I think that has a, you know, or you're on vacation and you're lying about it. <laughs> I don't understand why somebody would have a background that's blurred. It doesn't make any sense to me. Okay. I don't, I, I, what do you have to hide? That's what I say. It's like, why, why, why? I, I can understand if you have shit behind you that you're, you don't want to be seen. But even still, like, just, what do you got to hide? Show me the dirty laundry. Show me that you, you know, you're talking from your bedroom. Show me that you're talking, you know, in a place that is not where you should be talking. Does, definitely, I think about it, and it was like the one time I definitely used it was I was on vacation. And it was like a nice hotel room, and you're just like, oh, you can't see that. Which is why I think you should just use a background, a fake background. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've resorted to that now. So, right? Yeah. It's, I'm just saying, does anyone else worried about somebody that uses a background? It's probably just me, but I tend to... If somebody uses a blurred background, I don't like them as much. When I'm talking to them, I don't like them as much. <laughs> it just happened. I was on a Zoom call today. Somebody I work with at Acre, they had a, a blurred background, and I don't trust them anymore. Yeah, that's a tough situation. So, I, yeah. Moral of the story, have kids, blame them, <laughs> and then you'll be fine. And don't use a blurred background. Don't use a blurred background. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Vital Farms. No matter how you like your eggs scrambled, over easy, or sunny side up, the people at Vital Farms believe in one thing, keeping it bullshit free. That's why their pasture-raised eggs come from hens who each have over 108 square feet of space to roam and forage all year round. So you can spend less time questioning your food and more time enjoying it. Look for Vital Farms in your grocery store and learn more at vitalfarms.com. Vital Farms, keeping it bullshit free. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. 
Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Is this one long ass Dave? It's a big ass Dave. Dear Dave, big fan of the show, especially the Moifs. So I think you might be able to help me with a problem. I'll try to keep it short. My boyfriend's taken upon himself to book restaurants for the four of us, including my partner when we go out. Wait. My Her best, best friends. friends ah. He's a big foodie, and we're happy to just go to whatever restaurant he's booked. I don't know. Anyway, the person I'm going with basically books multiple restaurants at the same time. Oh, that's fucked up. Just in case one of the restaurants that they want to go to gets them in and then they no-show for the other reservations. This has caused a lot of stress for this person, basically. Linda is talking about. This is the person's name. I can't imagine this being okay for restaurants. So when is it a good time to give notice or cancel a reservation? Please help. Well, that's fucked up. I think that actually happens more and more than people realize is people making multiple reservations for the same night. And I do know this happens with executive assistants for powerful companies and such where, you know, they're maybe having a dinner meeting or a lunch and they don't know exactly what's going to happen. Maybe it's six people. Maybe it's eight people. You want to keep the options open. Maybe they want Japanese or Italian or whatever. I think that's super fucked. Which is why you should never do that. The reason it's fucked is you are theoretically fucking over all those restaurants. So if you book four reservations and you don't cancel them and you just sort of let it ride and it's a no-show, a no-show at a restaurant, any kind of restaurant, specifically for a tasting menu where it's set. So it's a 40-seat restaurant. They do one and a half turns, so they're doing 60 seats a night. And it's, you know, the margins are... A profitability might be like two diners, three diners, four diners. So that might be the breaking point between making money that night and losing money. You cannot do that. And I also say you cannot cancel like two hours before, 24 hours before. You have to cancel 72 hours. So when you look at a, a reservation and they say, hey, we'd like a credit card and we're going to charge you an amount, they're, you're, they're still going to lose money if you don't show up. No, Know that. They're not making money. They're I think there's a restaurant I saw that charges $175. If you don't show, that may cover costs, but not really. There's opportunity costs that are lost. The reason being is if you give a long enough lead time, a restaurant can actually fill that seat. But we're also talking about restaurants that are hard to get into, that might be destination dining. And if you give them say 24 hours notice, it's still going to be hard for them to potentially fill a spot, even if it's a restaurant of note that's really hard to get into because you can't assume that, oh, there's a whole Rolodex of a waiting list people that'll be able to make it. Trust me, just because your highly coveted res- reservation doesn't mean that it's going to be filled within two hours, three hours, or even 24 hours. You need to give them a longer lead time. It's one of the reasons why I think prepaying for your reservation makes a lot of sense. I hope that continues to be the case. But I think one way to prevent restaurants from getting screwed over is just paying top dollar for variable pricing, right? This is really an ass day that, well, I guess it's a, a bad idea. That's a good idea. I think that maybe you should, restaurants should leave one table that's open or two tables that are open like 
30 minutes before the reservation ends or begins, right? So it's like the tie, the cutoff time for a seven o'clock reservation stops at like six o'clock, but it's a bidding process. <laughs> Just one table, not the entire restaurant. Yeah. Because what I'm, I'm saying is you need some kind of pressure release valve for the, the people that are making multiple reservations that are screwing people over. They're like, oh, if this reservation opens up, I'm going to go there. The only way I see this working is if you have multiple restaurants that do that so that you have options to like, if that one, if I get outbid on this one, I want to be able to. Yeah, it's like an yeah, eBay bid. Yeah, basically an eBay bid. So, I mean, why is that a problem? People do that for every other artifact and culture. Why that? Why would that be a problem for restaurants? Yeah, you're asking the wrong guy. I'm very pro this idea. Like, I'm, I'm always. But people are going to be pissed. You can't do that. I'm like, I'm not talking about all the restaurants. Yeah. And every reservation, one or two that are for people that have indiscriminate wealth that are like, I don't give a fuck. And they're the ones that sort of fuck everything up. But you also want to take their money too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a luxury to be able to just pop into a restaurant 30 minutes before and just be like, all right, yeah, no, I have a reservation here. So Linda, you should tell your friend or anybody that's listening that makes multiple reservations for a night out to not do that at all. And I would give seven, two hours notice. But I also understand that reality, that's not going to happen. No calling, no show is a terrible thing. It has a bad butterfly effect. Because if you do that to one restaurant, then that you, you are now screwing over that other restaurant that didn't get that table. And then you're taking away tables from that other restaurant where that reservation might not go to. And it continues to cascade down in a smaller restaurant community. One no-show actually has negative impacts because people jump to another restaurant, another reservation. And I feel like the, the no-call no-show at one restaurant legitimately has a butterfly effect where you sort of screw up the economics for the entire ecosystem, if that makes sense. Does that make sense at all? Um, I'm, I'm more like curious about like what happens at a single restaurant if, if a no, no call, no show happens. And like, I mean, when you have such thin margins, you have to find a way to like, you know, procure on like really tight budgets and things like that. And if one person doesn't show, the butterfly effect I'm more near about is like, what happens to operations? Like, do you throw this food away? Like, what do you do? Like, you have it and this person didn't show. Well, that's another thing is a lot of times, I mean, when you make a reservation, listen, I'm making a reservation right now and at a restaurant here in Los Angeles that I love. And it's, it seems pretty punitive, right? It's not something that's prepaid, but they definitely take a reservation, a credit card number. They're trying to keep that on file. Again, if you don't show up, they're going to charge you. The main reason why is if, if you are a 12 seat restaurant and then you do two turns, so you have 24 plates of food per, per, per person per course. And let's just say it's a fish course, like having, I might have to buy, let's just say I have 24 langoustines, but then no, no, I have 20 langoustines, no, 24 langoustines. What did I, what's the math I was thinking about? Basically, let me not give you the fucking poor math. You have to buy your product for that service. and. If you don't have the right number of ingredients, then you might have to, you're buying enough where you're maybe getting a center cut or the best in class for each of those people. You don't want to give people an end cut when you get to a specific dining experience. And 
if you don't have the right reservation information, you cannot order your food properly and things get totally fucked. You can't just like, like, Hey, um, I'm no showing. And now this restaurant that serves 24 people in a night, they're out, you know, four reservation spots, but they can't do anything with that food because now they only have enough for that. Like they eight eight people's worth of food that are left over. So that may not make any sense. It's a lot easier if you're actually physically in the restaurant to explain long story cut short when you are no calling, no show, and you're totally fucking people over. It happens all the time. It would be awesome if people stopped doing that. The only way to do that, I think, is to continue to be, for the restaurants to be punitive in terms of taking credit card information, charging, but we're not charging enough, quite frankly. And I just think when you do that to restaurants, you no call, no show at seven o'clock, it has a really bad, bad, bad effect, which is why I think we should start to put these restaurants, these restaurants should start to put no call, no show people on the no fly list. Yeah, no, I agree. And I got a little bit of a follow-up question, actually. So what happens if you're running late? Like, should you let them know or like? Well, that's a, that's a hard thing because a lot of restaurants don't, like, again, you could say whatever reason, including that your kids are sick or whatever. But a lot of them don't have phones anymore. So how do you, how do you let them know? And even if you do have a phone, I think you still have to let them know regardless. Even though it's 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, sometimes it's out. That happened. I talked about it when I was trying to go to a restaurant and we were, you know, 90 minutes late for a res- reservation, right? Because it was traffic. It was fucking insane. You just have to be earnest with it, I think. There's no real, real answer to this, but I, I think on Resi and the other reservation apps, there's a way to let the restaurant know. So even if you're 10 minutes late, it's important to let them know. Even if you're 15 minutes late, it's important to let them know. It's just common courtesy. Again, when I lo- what I love about Japan is many of these reservations, you don't even have to call. They just, they don't confirm. You just show up. It's just a common etiquette. So, Linda, I hope that you tell your friend to never do that anymore. To just make one reservation at a restaurant. Do not make multiples because you fuck over all of those restaurants. You really do. Um, one of the things that I feel like is, is going to come back in vogue, not that out of vogue is one of the reasons why Momofuku is doing no reservation policy restaurants. And I was reading that ugly baby in New York is going back to a no reservation policy restaurant is it, it might be the only truly fair way uh, of doing it where supply and demand is sort of transparent for everyone to see. And like, you just see, okay, it's like a two hour wait. It's a three hour wait sign of popular restaurant, but it's also like, there's no way around it. And it's the best way for the restaurant. I know people don't like waiting in line. I don't like waiting in line for food, but um, that to me is the only way to do it. And just as another sort of etiquette, you should try to show up early for a reservation. Everybody. I know it's a pain in the ass when people ask, hey, has your entire party showed up? We've already talked about that many times, why that's important to seat a complete party. Because you can screw up the entire dinner service if you order, start ordering drinks and appetizers, then another, the, your fourth shows up, and then they have to reset everything. We've already talked about calling tickets. Now you have an extra ticket next to that ticket, and it just screws up the flow. You wouldn't do that if you were going to an opera or a, a, a concert and a, a beautiful, you know, to watch a symphony, some kind of play. You know, you, you're stuck. Even a sporting event, they don't let you sit until there's a timeout or something because of 
you know, interruptions. People understand that, but people still get upset when they're like, I can't see the complete party and they show up like 10 to 15 minutes. Like they don't know that that's a really bad thing. You don't show up late to other things. Show up early for a restaurant reservation. It's okay to show up late to a Zoom call. <laughs> Make sure you're 15 minutes early to every kind of reservation for a restaurant. That's it. No more excuses. All right. All right. We got a a moif. It's more of a debate club today. Yeah. All right. And we're going to be talking about best sandwiches and best sandwich countries. So I became ready <laughs> to see, uh, you know, what are the best sandwiches in the world? Like all around the globe, best sandwiches. Off the top of my head. Yeah. I'm going to say my favorite sandwich, number one. And we're talking about best in class versions or just like overall mean average sandwich? Let's do best in class because that's kind of how I thought about it. I think a a proper banh mi with a crispy wheat rice baguette that's hot but not too hot. Not so hot that it's going to, you know, wilt the, the, the herbs in the sandwich. Whatever you decide pork pate, char siu, whatever. There's so many varieties of it. A banh mi is the best sand, what, singular version of a sandwich in the world. Uh, I disagree. My, my number one's the muffaletta and central grocery muffaletta is like... That's fucking crazy. The paragon of a sandwich. That's so crazy. Wow, how's that crazy? not even my top 10. That's fucking ridiculous. Okay, hold on. <laughs> what? I've, I, listen, I, it, okay. I love New Orleans. They always get mad at me, especially after <laughs> that Ugly Delicious episode where I wasn't talking shit. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just said like tradition can be stifling sometimes. Okay. I think a mufalata is fine, but it's not better than an Italian sub or Ooh, sandwich. I don't know. And it's also, you. it's a sandwich you have to eat with a knife and fork. You, that's not a sandwich, dude. Oh, you can get messy. It's cool. No, it's not. It's too much. It's too dense. You have to unhinge your jaw to eat it. <laughs> it's unwieldy. There's nothing wrong with unwieldy. No. And just, dude, you like it because it looks good on social media. No, I like it because it has the olive, olives and the jardinera all chopped up together. That's yeah. like such a necessary component. You can have that on any other sandwich. It doesn't have to be that thick. Would you agree that Mufalada? Is too thick. Yes, but you smush it down like it's. You make a mess. Use a fork and knife. That's cool. Like I'm cool with that. All right. Like a muffaletta is, I think, the highest point because bread. It's got it all. It's got the bread. It's got the olives. It's got the jardinera. Good meats. You know. And I have this. No. I had it shipped. That's how much I like it. Like that's fucking. I make fun of the mufalada. I think it's the most overrated. <laughs> I will tell you, I think the mufalada is the most overrated sandwich out there. One oh of, right up God. there. It's James Harden of sandwiches. <laughs> I just, the mufalada is the James Harden of sandwiches. So it really one of is. the greatest sandwiches in history from one perspective. That chokes oh under pressure in playoff games. Oh, is, is a teammate that nobody really wants to play with. You know what's the James Harden sandwiches? The Bon Me is the James Harden sandwiches. Oh. The, the Vietnam's got one sandwich, okay? I'm it's talking about one inside. sandwich. Move a lot of my name be the best sandwich in New Orleans. <laughs> Whoa, okay, that's fair. I feel like so you that's guys... crazy. No. <laughs> you just tell me Scotty Pippen's better than Jordan. No. That's crazy. No. In some ways, he is. Okay, 
Hold on. All right. So no, you cannot say that. This is like we did not rehearse any of this stuff. I'm just saying the singular best sandwich is a great bon me. You're telling me City Grocery, which is a great sandwich. A, a mufalata is is very similar. If you listen to the wedgie episode for Recipe Club, where we did it on um, uh, the bobbly bobbly bread, yeah. right? It's, that's called a wedge. It's very similar. It's a giant frisbee loaf of bread, right? Stacked with cheese. Oil, vinegar, oregano, provolone, all the Italian meats, jardinier, olives, chopped olives. Yeah. <sighs> How is that not like that's yeah, the thing? You, you see on social media, people like to slice it like it's a lasagna and look at all the layers. Yeah. It's, no, it's a it's a sandwich of the moment. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying that a mufalata is not delicious. I don't think it's the best. I don't think there's anything particularly unique about it. And here's the other thing. You're a West Coast boy. What the fuck do you know about Italian subs? That's West true. Of the, east that's, of the Mississippi. You know what? That's, I'll, I'll give ridiculous. you that. But the thing is, I you, eat so many pond me. And I'm just like, maybe that's the thing. It's like the thing, the grass is greener on the other side. No, it's not. The grass is greener on my side. <laughs> no, oh my God. No, I grew up eating banh mi and no part of me thinks like, oh, this is the best sandwich I had in my life. I never think that. I'm just like, oh, it's pretty damn good for a banh mi. Like, No, it's got herbs. It's got <laughs> acidity, crunch, fat, everything. So does a, so does a mufalata. I, I can eat two banh mi. I can't eat two mufalata. <laughs> How is that hard? You just got over talking about how it's too damn big. Just eat fucking a quarter of a muffaletta. No. Right? Oh, my. Oh, you're talking about you can get different stuffings for the bombies and get two different There's only ones. one. And listen, it's not. I personally think the greatest. If you want to go Italian sandwich style, the best version of that is not Bay Cities. It's, again, White House in New Jersey, Atlantic City. Yeah, yeah. There's a great Mexican restaurant next to uh, White House in Atlantic City, <laughs> okay. by the way, for there. And I know that there are many versions of that that people will claim. And again, if you're from the Philadelphia, I think that people in Philadelphia, uh, Northern Philly, they're really the sandwich connoisseurs of America. They oh, know. Yeah. They know better than anybody because they have the entire sort of range of the East Coast sandwiches from the cheesesteak to the sort of Italian sub. White House, to me, makes the best sandwich. I would rather have a White House. So, like, I would put number two, an Italian sub. Oh, Mufalata is not even on the top 10, dude. Dude, I, so I kind of bunched those all together and I'm like, out of all of those Italian subs or sandwiches or grinders, zeps, hoagies, whatever you call it, I would still take a Mufalata. It's fucking insane. It's insane. I, I pay to have that shit shipped from Gold Belly, dude. Like it is, it's like 200 bucks and I still do it. Paying you too much money, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cool. I would say that a proper po' boy. I, I, I think that's different strokes for different folks. Okay. Okay. So your number two is an Italian sandwich. Italian sub. Yeah. My number two is a gyro. If that counts as a sandwich. And one of the biggest things is they put French fries in that thing. And I just think it's fucking genius. Like. Not only is the whole thing, the bread is amazing. The flatbread is like, I think, the king of breads. Get the fuck out of here. Get out of here, Hero. No, it's not. Oh, it's not. God. A Hero is. No. Oh, my God. No, no. no, no. no. Okay. So, what? what I think it is in a top 10, but it's not number two. And a Hero, you know, in the other parts of the world, you're calling a donair. 
Sure. Yeah. Get it straight. Yeah, you haven't been to the motherland where it was made. I have. It's delicious. <laughs> I'm still not putting that in the top five. It's in not a top ten. I'm putting it in top five. I'll put it in the top five. Yeah. <laughs> it's a spinning. We're meat. talking about tier one pyramid, like the Bill Simmons pyramid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got banh mi. You got I can't White House style subs. <laughs> Here, a, a donair sandwich is tier two. It's in the Shaquille O'Neal bracket. It's in the Shaquille O'Neal. We're going to divide. Bracket. We're going to okay. do this pyramid okay. board by NBA big men. Okay. Okay. The Bill Russell bracket is bond me and White House style subs. That's oh, it. Oh my god. Oh, the Wilt Chamberlain Shaquille O'Neal has Don Aaron. I'm having. There are arguments that Shaq's the greatest big man of all time, and I'm. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, a bomb me, a bomb me number one. No, Mufalada is You're, in the Rudy Gobert pyramid. That is fucking outrageous. He's very good. Ridiculous. No, that is not even. No, Mufalada is a shack. Okay, there's no, Mufalada is shack. No. The Poe is Hakeem. And there's like, oh, this is the big. Like, maybe you it's like that. It's a athlete. one-dimensional player that's really good at it that isn't really good at the spacing issues in the playoff time. Oh, I can't believe I'm here right now. <laughs> I can't believe I'm doing, I'm doing this right now. <laughs> you put Mufalada in the Rudy Gobert team. Yeah, you hear that? Are you called Bomby Bill Russell? That's crazy. What rings is Bomby one? Oh my God. Oh boy, it's like a Wes Unseld. <laughs> Wes, Wes Unseld, if you know what I'm talking about, Wes Unseld level. He's the only person to deliver the bullets, a championship. Very dependable. <laughs> very good. Very good passer. That's, 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 that's a Bomby. That's a great example no. of Bomby. That's no. one trick. That's one trick. Banh mi is a 13-time NBA champion. <laughs> it makes everyone around him better. Because when you eat a banh mi, you want to eat other things too. That's important. Wait. Expand on that a little bit. When, when you, you eat a banh mi, you can still eat other things. It, it's, an, it's constantly giving assists to other things <laughs> around you. <laughs> Nuvaleta is a one, like, just feed me the ball. I'm only eating this, and this is the only thing I'm doing, and I can't do anything else. I... You're telling me you eat one banh mi, you're satisfied. If you're going to eat it, you can eat at least one more banh mi. You can have another style banh mi. You might have a summer roll. You can have a lot. You can even have a bowl of pho. Wait, you cannot do you? that. Okay. That's another question is you're getting... So I have a banh mi specialist in Little Saigon that I love. They have... And you're right. You have to get two. You have to get two. And you get different, different you know, uh, toppings for each, right? So, man... I didn't know that was a criteria, first of all. I'm it's, just always a, it's always a criteria. How is that a, eating, a, eating something on top of a sandwich? I think I'm taking crazy pills. Like, eating something other than the sandwich cannot be a criteria for what makes a great yeah, sandwich. A sandwich that makes other things taste better? How about a sandwich that you don't want to, like, that's all I need. That's my sandwich. I'm happy hey, with this. Dominique, Dominique Wilkins was a great player, but he didn't win nothing. Okay, so where's the then where's the Langer's nineteen or the or the Ruben on your list? Langer's nineteen? Yeah. That's in the top five. But then do you, what do you get on top of the Langer's nineteen? It's what? a pretty big sandwich. Oh, I get a chili fries. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. That's that's a lot. Maybe I've even got a matzo ball soup too. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm a matzo ball soup into Langer's nineteen. If you don't know, it's the best pastrami sandwich in America, which is therefore the world. And I love cats's, but Langer's is better because the bread is baked fresh. It's this unique bread for them on rye. Very delicious. And I'm going to eat that with a side of chili fries. Chili That's cheese insane. fries. Are you? What are you doing the rest of the day besides sleeping? Like, 
<laughs> that is crazy. Has anyone else done this? I feel like I'm crazy. You're telling me you don't go to the Langers? You only get the fucking sandwich? I make sure I go with other people so that I can split the chili fries. Well, you're eating other things. That's insane. You're getting a muffalata. That's all you're eating. Okay, so you have Langers number Langers 19. Th- I think Lang- Langers is five. Langers and is the five. White House and AC. White House is two. Yeah. I'd say a, a donair from a restaurant that we visited didn't make ugly delicious. I it was one of the best restaurants I've ever been to. Really amazing, amazing wooden spits, giant meat towers, everything baked there. It's the only thing I serve French fries. Delicious. I'll, I'm going to say that was one of the best dining experiences of my life. I'm putting that number three in Turkey. Four. I'm going to put. I'm going to put a torta on. What kind of torta, dude? A Milanese torta. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good and one. honestly, a great one through one. The top five can honestly, they can each claim the top spot at any okay. given day. Okay. Really, truly. Yeah. And I might even put a pambosa in there as well. <laughs> I've had a lot of those <laughs> yeah. from that same truck. <laughs> Yeah, Pambasa is number, it's up there for me. So mine was the Torta Ahogada, which I don't know if you've seen, but it's the one that they lay the chili sauce on top and it's like super spicy. It's like the drowned torta. But uh, I, it's like a pain train. I've never had a food that like is so painful to eat and painful like going down that like has an allure every time I see it. I'm just like, oh shit, I gotta get it. I'm still, still shocked that you think Muflot is number one. God. That is insane. Bomb me number one. You literally one. just said James Harden's the greatest player of the NBA. No, 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 no. Bomb me number one is outrageous. It's top five. Bomb me, bon me is like Jokic. It doesn't make any sense why oh, it's so good. God. It defies <laughs> expectation. It's just hot outside. It's a America. mixture That's of all kinds of things going on. <laughs> and even a bad bomb me is good. No, a bad bomb me is not good. A bad bomb me is bad. Like a bad bomb. The bread is so important for a bummy. If the bread is bad, it's like, this is tough sledding. Like, I'm not, I'm not finishing this. Like, and you know, we're not saying anyway. hamburgers are hot dogs. We're not talking about that yeah. shit. Hamburgers are out of the equation. Yeah. Right. But in terms of sandwiches, I, th- I think my top five, uh, you know, number six might be the mortadella sandwich you get in Sao Paulo, Brazil. That was on my list too. I was very interested. Have you had that before? Yeah. I've actually had it. Yeah. It is a, uh, very simple. That to me, again, is probably in the Shaquille O'Neal, Will Chamberlain category. Very singular in its focus. <laughs> Very dominant. But unable to do anything else. Oh, Can't shoot free throws. Okay, can't yeah. pass. That's a good analogy. I respect that analogy. So is the Muflata. How no, different is that? the same fucking thing, Dave. <laughs> the pole God. boy is better than the Muflata. No. Muffalata, I would say, is like Hakeem Olajuwon. Can po-boy, do any sandwich that celebrates iceberg lettuce as the po' boy does is the better sandwich. <sighs> you and your iceberg lettuce can stay in the po' boy like side of things, but I need that. I need that olive and jardinera and just like the way it mixes with the fattiness of the meats and the cheese. It's too perfect. Like to me, that's an unstoppable sandwich. That that is Hakeem Olajuwon. That's ball on the block. Gonna find a way to get. You know, yeah, you, drew, you draft Akeem Olajuwon first and Sam Bowie before you draft Jordan. I will draft Akeem Olajuwon <laughs> before Jordan every year. Yeah. Every uh, year. Everybody, we've just lost anybody that doesn't <laughs> give a shit about basketball. And if we do give a shit about basketball, we are like, I don't give a fuck about these guys anymore. 
That's legitimately like insane that you would say Mufalad is better than a bun. Oh, I don't. I think I think most of America would agree with me. Do you guys even know what the fuck we're talking about? <laughs> kind of, yeah. What would you think? I'd probably take Mufalad over. Thank bun. you, Corey. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. I was just in. Uh, I was in New Orleans in the fall, and it's it was hidden. Yeah. Let's go. That's that's me pounding my chest, America. That's crazy. I'm a Victoria's <laughs> vegetarian, so okay. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be rough. No, I, I refuse to like <laughs> move further on this podcast. <laughs> don't get mad at me, Mufalada folks. And I love City Grocery. I just don't think it's as good as a great bon me. Why would they get mad? You lost the argument. Corey agrees with me. No. This is this is wild. How can you hate bon me? I don't hate bon me. Yeah, you me. do. You hate bon me. No, that is not the same. I just don't understand how it could be the best sandwich. That's crazy to me. I'm just like, I've had so many bad bon me's. Okay? I haven't had that many bad Italian sandwiches that have olives and jardineras in them. Okay, that's pretty hard to do. To, to have a bad sandwich with that many good ingredients inside. I've had a bad bon me with the pâtés starting to turn. Okay, like, I've had a bad bon me with shitty bread. There's a lot of things that can go wrong in a bomb meat. You're talking about one instance of a mufflada as well. Where That's else? true. I'll give you that. But yeah, of think course it's true because I'm right. No, but the ingredients are safe. But like a bomb meat, man, this shit can go sideways real quick, man. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that can just kind of, oof, like the pate goes bad, the bread sucks, like the whole thing falls yeah, apart. Y- your you logic doesn't make it. any sense because you're talking about one place. So the best place that makes <laughs> bomb meat theoretically wherever it is in the world right. versus City Grocery. Okay, okay, okay. All right? I can think of, so I'll think of a place, like the Bami place that I go to in Little Saigon. And like... And what is the name of this place? Uh, it's Bale Sandwiches in, in Westminster. So it, that place is awesome. But you do got to eat it there because like the bread's still kind of hot. Just like you said, it doesn't wilt the, the herbs. Yummy's the down herbs. the street is pretty good too. I actually haven't been there. It's very good. Okay. I got to check that out. They have good, good uh, Nikuman dumplings as well. But I'm just saying, the best version... And we're not even talking about Vietnam itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're saying, would we agree that the bunnies in Vietnam are arguably better than anything we've had here? I think that's debatable, actually. That's legitimately debatable. Yeah. Well, I can't listen to Corey anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I just find it hard to believe that a the best-in-class banh mi you think is not as good as the best-in-class mufalong. I don't. I just like from a gut feeling, like if you put two in front of me, I'm going for the mufalong every time. All right. If you want to vote on Discord, <laughs> I'm going to lose. I'm sure. Tell him he's wrong, America. Tell him he's wrong. But a lot okay. of people, a lot of people that changed the world were wrong initially, only proven right. If I have to be the Jay, Jay Oppenheimer of, of of sandwiches here, <laughs> I, I'm, I'll do so. But the bond me is the king. I think it's polarizing, and I think a good one is great. Mufalada, dude. It's not even, it's not better than White House. You've never even had White House. I've never had White House. So shut the fuck up. (laughs) I've had a lot of Italian subs, though. Yeah, in the West Coast. (laughs) Get out of here. I mean, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. I really like it. And that's the sandwich I think about all the time. And I wish they had them in LA. All right, real quick. uh, Top five sandwich countries. I'm going to say Mexico number one. Really? Mm. Wow. Mm. Over the over the states. I think when we do the World Series of basically 
food, snacks, everything. Mm-hmm. It's going to be surprising. It's going to be like the U.S. and Olympics or winter or summer. It's always going to be like top three in metal counts. Mexico in all facets, it's going to be in the top five in everything. In everything. Snacks, amazing. Drinks, amazing. Mexico, I think sandwiches are number one. Two, America. Wow. Yeah. We invented peanut butter and jelly, dude. Not, like, that's, not a, that's not a sandwich. I, just think about that. Like how elemental that is. And just like America has so many sandwiches. No. America's two. But get used to it. <laughs> okay. All right. Number three. This is where I had trouble because I was like after you. I put Italy. Italy. Okay. I put Italy. I'm not well versed enough in South America to say Argentina or Brazil or, you know, I'd probably put, I'd probably put Turkey four. Japan's five. Japan? Yeah. Wow. Strictly because of the convenience. Oh, the convenience stores? Okay. Yeah. Wow, interesting. France would be, France would be, yeah. France doesn't even make it for me. Really? And don't even tell me about, oh, England, they invented the sandwich. No. No, no, no. Yeah, England. They're not in the top five. They can only be France. Not a big croque monsieur guy. Oh, when's the last time you wanted a croque monsieur? (laughs) I mean, if it's on the menu, I'll get it. No. Really? I'm not even talking about Vietnam. We're talking about more than one. It's got to be more more than than one. one sandwich, yeah. Vietnam just has the sandwich, so. I, I looked it up too. I was like, no, Mex- it's just different variations of bummy. Mexico, number one. Mexico, number one. Tortas. Samitas. I there's so know. many different fillings. That's the thing is, there's so many different sandwich fillings. Yeah. And they do a lot of cool stuff with the bread. Basically, everything that America makes, Mexico makes in its sandwiches. Pastrami root. Well, that's why America's number two. <laughs> I had Ruben really high on my list, so I was like, America, right? The greatest sandwich America produces, you're saying, is the mufalata? I would say it is the pastrami. Mm. Yeah, think about that. Because if that is the case, then your logic is false on mufalata being the best sandwich. Okay. I think the mufalata... Because I only think in logical systems and structures. (laughs) Yes, that's that's very clear, Dave. Uh, (laughs) Jesus Christ. Okay, no. I think the Italian sub is the 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 king of the pile for America. Then how can and so a muffaletta is my favorite version of it. It's the one that to me is better than the a pastrami. Yes, I think if you if you give me five days, I'll eat the muffaletta three days and pastrami two. What about BLT? BLT is English, like it's from Britain. I know they did. <laughs> I think America's taking that. Too. <laughs> That's our sandwich. Where are all the angle files getting really upset at me right now? Come at me. Come at me. Carol, I'm sorry. And your um, bean toast sandwich? <laughs> that fucking monstrosity. Or the chip bunny, the french fries with bread. 
What is that fucking bean? Beans and toast? I consider that as open face tortilla. <laughs> oh my god! No, yeah, I think yeah, it's got to be BLT's probably like a weekend sandwich. If we're going five days a week, three days muffaletta, two days pastrami, I'll have a BLT on the weekend. The thing that for right now, the sandwiches I want to eat more than the sandwiches in America are the sandwiches from Mexico as a whole. I respect it. But I can understand why people would say America is the best in terms of sandwiches. The sheer breadth, right? Like just so many different choices. But master of none, maybe. Master of pastrami. Master of pastrami. There's a lot of that. And the Italian-American, you know, cold cut sandwich, right? That you prefer from New Orleans. (laughs) It's so good. It's so good. We're going to unfortunately ask Corey and Victoria what their what they think the best sandwich and best sandwich country is. Okay. All right. What do you guys think? Uh, best sandwich country, USA. I got to be a homer on that one. Um, best sandwich, period. I mean, it's hard to argue with the Italian sub, but I'm a simple man. I like simple things. Um, and recently, like just a buffalo chicken sandwich. So good, like fried, like buffalo fried chicken. (laughs) It was going so well, Corey. What the fuck? I have to speak for the everyman, you know. Like I have to. (laughs) I'm doubting everything he just said. (laughs) Sorry. I'm gonna chicken chicken parm, chicken parm, yeah, chicken parm, yeah. Even eggplant parm. All the Italian. I mean, Italian-American, very different than Italy itself. Right. With paninis yeah. and uh, tremenzinis. Yeah. But it, it, Italy's got good sandwiches, though. They really do. Victoria? I would say pastrami would be my favorite uh, before my vegetarian days, of course. Uh, torta, though. You, you hit the nail on the head with the torta. And I would say America's got number one for sandwiches, but Mexico, that gave me something to think about, though, for sure. Right? For sure, yeah. No bon mis in Mexico. I don't know. What, what, what are we doing here? <laughs> I, bet you, I bet you you can find a bon mi in Mexico, and I bet you it's very good. Uh, I bet you you could. I bet you you could. They have pretty much everything you need. Mexico is very similar to Japan. They're both Borg-like countries in their culinary cuisine. They take, and they merge, and they improve. That is, that's high praise for Mexico, and I... In my experience visiting there, I tend to agree with you. Yeah. Sponsored by the Mexican government. <laughs> Sponsored by the Mexican Tourism Authority. <laughs> All right. We're going to get you out of here, but I wanted to end on one thing I, I, I like or dislike. And right now, I, <laughs> I have mixed feelings, which means it's a, it's a it's cover for I don't like it. I'm seeing on social media, I see when I go to the grocery stores, a lot of people buying Korean rice cakes, tteokbokki, which is glutinous rice pounded into some type of shape, usually a coin or a cylinder. I've been buying stock in tteokbokki for almost 20 years, and no one's ever come along with me for this ride. I haven't said, buy this stock, buy this fucking stock. It's going places. It's fucking going places. You want to get on this ride. It's going to skyrocket. You, you 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 don't want to. I I feel like I've been the person telling everyone you want to buy the stock called Apple in 1983. <laughs> Trust me, and everyone's laughed at me. 
And now it's like my my screaming from the heavens about <laughs> Korean rice cakes have gone completely unnoticed. And now everyone's like, I've discovered this thing called <laughs> Korean tteokbokki and it's awesome. You know, the worst part is, is probably some like K-pop star ate it in a drama or something like that. And people were like, oh my God, that looks really good. Let me try it. It's just, I've been telling everyone, I was like, Dave, who? Hey, listen, you can sign up for this thing called email and you can send electronic letters to people. People are like, what the fuck? That's stupid. <laughs> and now everybody, it seems, is making this thing called Tokboki. Number one, they can't even pronounce it. Takagi. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I can't believe it's getting its its moment in the sun now. I'm it's so happy. fucking wild. <laughs> this is when I'm like, maybe this Korean wave is never going to end. Because <laughs> like, white people are. I'm just going to say, it, white people now cooking dokuki is not something. I, I, I'm happy, but I'm also sad. And there's, the internets are flooded with fucking <laughs> the shittiest of fucking white people dokbuki recipes. I'm sorry, Corey. <laughs> but it's like, it hit the trifecta. It's like vegan, gluten-free, like just like perfect. Like, what have like, I been saying for 20 <laughs> years? <laughs> oh my God. Oh, <laughs> some of these, some of these online recipes are pretty. Is dark. there a terrible tteokbokki recipe? I'm like thinking about like, I think someone tried to do like pizza tteokbokki, and I was like, oh, what the f- tomato sauce? Like no, <laughs> but like I don't know. I've seen some weird ones. See some weird ones. But I think before people eat tteokbokki, they need to have the real thing. The before one. they make a rose tteokbokki, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Before they make a. A, a chili cheese mac <laughs> recipe with tteokbokki. <laughs> or if they make a, a, a carbonara with feta cheese oh, <laughs> recipe. Jesus Christ. Before they make anything tteokbokki, they should know the origins. Yeah. They should eat the real fucking thing. And then credit me. <laughs> It was definitely on a trauma somewhere. I'm just trying to figure out which one. I didn't invent Tokpoki. <laughs> but I'm the largest shareholder of the Tokpoki <laughs> company out there. Oh. Score one for Tokpoki. It's so it's crazy. It's amazing. The times we live in. It's amazing. Tokpoki. Yeah. Can you imagine taking that in your school lunch when you were a kid? People would look at you like you had three heads. Yeah. Next time you see a Tokpoki recipe. On the internet, ask yourself: Should this be? Should this person be made? Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, give us five stars. <laughs>